Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the presence of the Lord. I'm going to ask you tonight, if you will, to join me in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And it's from here. We're going to read two verses. Tonight is our communion service. And I want to talk about the power of communion. I'm thankful tonight to understand beyond this being a religious rite or a ritual. We're not just doing something to do something. But there is a power and a purpose. And I'm thankful for that tonight in the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 26. Paul said... For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Amen. I want to talk about the power and uh, the purpose of communion. We're here tonight intentionally, and I'm grateful for his presence. In his earthly ministry, it is uh, just amazing to me in studying and reading the life and the ministry of the Lord that he was forever teaching in every aspect of his life, every aspect of every day. There was a life lesson and often an eternal lesson. And uh, so in the ministry of the Lord, he never stopped teaching. And so that's why we should not just rush through those chapters that hold the precious words of the Lord. Even at the Last Supper, just hours before his crucifixion, Jesus used the Passover to teach some eternal truths. And so this evening, no matter how many times you've heard some of this mentioned, it will do our hearts well to hear it one more time. And so no matter how many times I've said it this evening, I'm not just going to be up here talking about it. I want the Lord to touch me, and I've asked him to touch me with a hot coal, a brand of fire tonight. Amen. The, the Passover meal was first eaten by the slaves in Egypt. It was something to help them reflect upon with a spirit of anticipation that God would deliver them. He, they knew that God would bring them out of the hand and the shadow of Pharaoh. In Exodus chapter 12, God instructed them to take an innocent lamb, very specific about the lamb, but to take an innocent lamb and sprinkle its blood upon the doorpost and the, and the top of the door to protect the household from the angel of death that was coming. They did so in faith, and God did spare them from that horrible thing. Approximately 700 years after the Jewish people were delivered from Egypt, the prophet Isaiah drew in part, at least, images from the Passover because he wanted to tell a greater story, a more powerful story 
of an even more universal deliverance. These are not just a group of people in the land of Egypt. But Isaiah wanted to prophesy about something that was coming that would impact the entire world. And when Isaiah wrote, he didn't just prophesy about a lamb, but Isaiah prophesied about a man. This man would suffer the sins of all people. He would be wounded, he would be bruised, and ultimately, Isaiah talks about sacrificed to atone for our sin. Now, Jesus knew of whom Isaiah spoke. He wasn't in the, he wasn't clueless. He wasn't in the shadows and all of this. And he could declare with certainty when he picked up the bread and when he picked up the wine. By way of illustration, he could say with certainty, this is my body, which is given for you, and this is my blood, which is shed for you. He could say with certainty that he knew that would be him. Paul affirmed the words of the Lord, noting that, that uh, Jesus told those that, that would partake of this Passover to do this in remembrance of me, as often as you do this. Paul, of course, did not set in stone that every time we gathered we would do this or that we would do it once a year or four times a year. But he just said, as often as you do this, here is why you're doing this. You're doing this in remembrance of me. Paul explained further that the Lord's Supper or what we're doing tonight was to be something central. This is for the body of Christ. This is not just something that we do as an individual, but we are doing this as a corporate body. He demonstrated this by his insistence that the church do it and that the church do it right. And so tonight, I wanna stand along and join lock arms with the Apostle Paul and say that this night is very important. And it is important that we do it, but it is also important that we do it right. I believe the Lord is still concerned that we get this right. We can do that by looking at the Lord's Supper, I think, in the proper lens, or we can consider it in its proper context. And so in order to fully appreciate communion, I think that we need to view this from multiple directions. I believe that there is an inward look. And we've, we talk about that a whole lot. I've talked in the last several services pointing toward this night that we need to prepare ourselves. Don't wait until 7.30 tonight for us to whisper a prayer and say, by the way, Lord, we want to make sure everything is all right. You know, through the years, and I mentioned this Sunday, but through the years, some people have been fearful of taking communion because they said, well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to do what the Apostle Paul has stated in our text about taking it unworthily. And so I said Sunday, and I will say again tonight, that if we are not worthy to take communion, then we need to look at that in a broader scale. Because if we're not worthy to take communion, we might need to be worried about losing our life or the trumpet sounding. Amen. Things that are imminent that we have no control over. We have no way of anticipating what the next 30 minutes will hold for any of us. And so I don't want to just get right for communion. <laughs> I want to get right every day and every night. That's why the writer said, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. 
And so I would say tonight that if we knew that the stroke of midnight would be our time, if we knew right now that we only had four hours left in this life, what would we have to do? What would we feel pressed to do? Who would we call? Who would we try to sit down with? How many bridges would, that are burned would we try to build back? Amen. I say that sincerely tonight because we need to take an inward look, an inward look. I believe that the language of Paul's text here should be understood in context. Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, and you've heard me say many, many times, if you studied and read through the book of Corinthians, you know that the Corinthian church was a very troubled church. And so Paul was addressing specific and particular situations within the Corinthian assembly. These were a group of people that were very self-righteous, and they were here and everybody else was somewhere else. There were in the Corinthian church new converts who had remained worldly. Even those who deemed themselves to be a part of the church and to be spiritual. But they could just they were so spiritual that they could just make up their own rules and just do whatever they wanted to do. And so uh, these Christians had become selfish and they had lived to themselves and had become very entitled uh, we, we can read about some of them even taking wine to excess and, and being drunk at feast and, and then judge people that they deem to be less than themselves. Some of them would even partake in paganistic practices and then want to show up and take communion. And so Paul was saying, you need to get your heart right. You need to look inside. Amen. So Paul spared no words. He called nothing correcting the church on all these points. And he was most pointed about those who believed that their Christian liberty, so to speak, gave them a license to participate in whatever they wanted to do. You know, some people have taken grace to the point of disgrace. And so Paul was warning against that. And so I'll read one passage of scripture in chapter 10 of verse 21. And you can follow along here on the, on the screen. But Paul said to them, to them, he said, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and in of the table of the devils. You can't have it both ways. I will tell you that there is no more miserable place in a galaxy than to try to live on the fence. One foot in, one foot out. I believe I can get a resounding amen of people here that said the easiest day that you found serving God was the day that you said, I'm all in. I'm in for the long haul. I'm not looking over the fence. I'm not looking back. I'm not living for God looking in the rear view mirror. But I've cashed in all the chips. And at that moment, I can personally testify. I believe others here can personally testify. At that moment, amen, there was no looking back. There was something that broke in our spirit, something that broke in the spirit world because we committed ourselves to something bigger than ourselves. Because Paul said, you can't drink of the cup of the Lord and drink of the cup of the devil. You can't sit down at the table of the Lord and sit down at the table of the devil. Therefore, Paul was greatly concerned about those who thought that they could live somehow in both worlds and then come and partake of holy things. And he said then, if you do that, that you can't, you can't, you shall eat the bread and you shall drink the cup of the Lord unworthily and shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. And I believe that we too should be careful. So while I'm pointing out this scripture in context, 
I don't want us to disconnect ourselves so much from the truth of this scripture, okay, that we think it doesn't apply to us today. The principles of this scripture still apply to us, and so we've got to be careful. I believe that communion calls us in large part to the spirit of repentance. So before we take communion, we always need to take an inward look. So Paul writes, in preparing to receive the Lord's Supper, he said in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, let a man examine himself. Let a man examine himself. But now we gotta remember something when we're talking about self-examinations, that you gotta be very careful what you're measuring yourself against. Because if you're measuring yourself against the wrong thing, then I'll promise you, you're gonna be in trouble. In my office, there is a tuning fork, an old handheld tuning fork. I can remember 30 plus years ago, there was a very elderly man that used to come and tune our piano, and he tuned with a tuning fork. Now, those have long fallen by the wayside, and technology has uh, taken us to, in a different direction, but he had a case, and in, those case, in the case, he would have these tuning forks, and he would wrap that thing on the heel of his other hand and he would hold it up to his ear and, and tune, 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 tune. And so I'm not even sure it was just laying around here. I found that tuning fork years later. I'm not sure it was his. I don't know where it came from. But I kept it because it reminds me of something. I have it displayed in my office because it reminds me of something. You can go to Maine and you can hit that on your wrist and it's the key of C. And it'll be the key of C in Maine and you can get on a plane and fly all the way around, halfway around the globe and when you get there, you can hit it again and it's still gonna be the key of C. Amen. So you gotta be very careful what you're measuring yourself against. I keep that to remind me that I gotta be right every day, every moment of every day. I need to be right when I'm in front of people and I need to be right when no one's looking. I need to be right when everybody's listening and I need to be right when nobody's listening because the one that matters is always looking and it's always listening. Amen. I need to be the same. So let a man Examine himself, but be very careful. Be very careful what you're measuring yourself against. I've used this illustration many years ago. Brother Corin, uh, Brother Corin was, uh, I was helping him with some projects around his shop, and uh, I was using this little, little two-foot level. And, uh, you know, we've all used a level, or most all have used a level. And uh, we were using that and uh, this project. And when we were through the project, he said, you made me nervous every time you picked up that level. And uh, so I was started to inquire. Brother, Brother Corin was a, was a machinist and he was licensed in, in, in welding every type of metal but titanium. And uh, he said this, this two-foot level, it was about, at that time, it was about a $400 instrument. He didn't run down to Ace Hardware and pick that up. They didn't come out of the Walmart bargain bin. And the reason for that is because he used it to build precise yes. things. Not things that'll just be good enough to get by. Not something that's close enough. Not one of those things that's close enough because I can't see it from my house. So let a man examine himself. We've got to measure ourselves. But I can't measure myself among myself or we can't measure ourselves among others around us because what if they're wrong? I gotta measure myself against this, amen. I gotta measure myself against the shekel of the sanctuary. 
I got to measure myself against that that is true. Amen. I don't want to be unwise. And so repentance is not a hard thing because it's just turning in the right direction in in the Lord's eyes. And, And again, a standard of communication here is not perfection really, but it is about being contrite and humble in our spirit. No one here and ever will be perfect. We've never been and never will be perfect. But I believe that what I need to display in the presence of God and man is a spirit of humility, a spirit of contrition that, Lord, you can touch my heart. You can get a hold of me. Amen. So asking for forgiveness is an easy thing to do, or it should be an easy thing to do. We can't just look in. We need to look out. Amen. The word communication implies closeness. And so when we're communing with the Lord, we may use that term to uh, maybe in, in, the, in a more churchy fashion or religious fashion. When we're communing with the Lord or when we're communing with our brothers and sisters in the church, when the scripture refers to this, the word that most aptly describes this word is a word that we call fellowship. And we know what that means. That's a very common word. Amen. The word fellowship. In the Bible, the word fellowship contains the idea of sacrifice. Now, when we use the word fellowship, it has to do more with uh, cake and coffee. And <laughs> Am I telling the truth now? We think about fellowship. We think about sitting down with our brothers and sisters and talking and having a wonderful time. But in the context of Scripture, the word fellowship contains the idea of sacrifice. So follow me now. Because fellowship is a real gift. It's not just a gift of receiving, but it's a gift of giving. And it, in, in the deepest sense, fellowship is about serving one another. Now, I believe that I'm going to say something that we can relate to here. We've been around people that were so wonderful and rich, and they brought so much to the table that, that at the end of the day or at the end of the, our time of fellowship, it created almost a void or a vacuum when they drove away because they brought to us a gift. A gift maybe in some cases humor, a gift of knowledge, a gift of wisdom. They brought with us them a gift or a sense of peace or a sense of fullness or wholeness. I'm thankful to have people in my life to fellowship with that bring that kind of thing. I mean, I think we all agree that that in the, in the context of fellowship and relationship and communing, that there is a sacrifice. There is a sacrifice. I think that when we think about fellowship, my goodness, how much fellowship has been underlined for us this year. The absence of that, the separation of all of that has made us really understand the greater value of fellowship. In John chapter 13 and 14, I think maybe even through chapter 17, at the Last Supper, Jesus gave his, his disciples a principle to reach the world. It started with the, with the fellowship of the Lord that he desired with them at that Passover meal. Put simply, God's plan right there displayed was to love one another. I'm not trying to eradicate with one stroke or with one sentence or phrase uh, the gift or the power of ministries and tools that we have, but I just want you to understand something, that the greatest gift that God ever gave the church to win the world was for the church to love one another. Jesus declared that by this shall all men know that you're mine, 
when they see your love for one another. People are drawn, hear me tonight, people are drawn where there is a spirit of peace and a presence of hope. That's just one more reason that we ought to love one another and that we ought to respect one another. I think we should not only have a season of looking in and a season of looking out, but I believe in the, in the, in the truest sense that the church, the body of Christ, must always be looking ahead. We must always be looking ahead. Communion reminds us that as a church, we are really living in between because this world is not our home, but we're not yet to our home. So we're just somewhere in this in-between place. And I just want to quote Brother Jerry Dean one more time, that if we're going to sing this world is not our home, then let's be careful that we don't drive our tent stakes too deep down in the ground and the earth of this world and this life. I want to hold it loosely because if the trumpet sounds, amen, I want to be ready. I want to be ready to make it. I don't want to be drawn up and caught up into things of this world. Some of the very last words of the Lord was a prayer that he offered on behalf of those who were following him. According to John 17, 24, he prayed that his disciples would one day be with him in heaven and that they would be able to behold his glory. That was his prayer. That we would be together. That we would be together in heaven again and that they could behold his glory. And so our fellowship with the Lord and our fellowship with one another in communion can, can most closely uh, perhaps anticipate what the Lord has prepared for us when he returns. In all of this, I think it's a wonderful thing to reflect. I think it's a wonderful thing to look back. I don't want to live my life, as I've said many times, looking in the rearview mirror, but I am also thankful for what I see when I look in the rearview mirror. I'm grateful for where the Lord has brought me. Amen. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, it involves all senses. We see, taste, touch, smell, and we hear. Together, we view the elements as we join together in our worship. Further, while these physical things are taking place, there's something spiritually and mentally, there's something powerful that's happening to the inner man. We reflect on those, amen, that, that, would, that, that, were, that had taken the Lord to the cross. We reflect upon that moment, amen. And I will tell you this, that genuine love, when you really invest yourself in something, it always comes at a cost. Jesus didn't die for those who deserved it. He, desired, he died for sinners. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then I will tell you further, thankfully, that he doesn't stop loving us and he doesn't stop forgiving us when we fall short, when we fail him. Because when we think about fellowship, when we think about deep, consequential relationships, it always requires an investment. It costs you something to be together with your best friend. I'm not talking about always money. Your best friend is going to have flaws. Things you got to overlook. Things you got to work around. You got to bear in mind all the wonderful things they bring to the table. And so I can put up with these few things, but deep relationships always require an investment. It includes and involves the heart and the soul and the mind. And deep investments or deep relationships, hear me, can lead to deep disappointments. But that was not a reason for Jesus to stop loving. That's what he taught us, that you just keep loving anyway.
So I would dare say, and forgive me for saying this, but understand me for saying this, but you could stop any parent or any pastor and you could ask any husband or any wife if commitment runs deep, they will have to tell you that hurt is inevitable. Somewhere along the way, you're going to get hurt because you've invested so deeply. And then so people who get hurt often, especially people who get hurt in relationships, will often say things like, well, I just won't love again. And I won't get vulnerable again and I'm not going to put myself out there again and I will tell you that when you do that you not only violate the word of God but you create a prison cell of confinement for you a life sentence to live out the rest of your days Jesus paid the greatest sacrifice for those who were the least worthy hours before he went to the cross Jesus said greater love hath no man than this that he would lay down his life for a friend there's a story told of two young brothers who shared a very rare blood type. It was so rare that one of the brothers was asked to give some blood to ensure that his other brother would be able to fight through or survive something that he was facing in his health. And so as his parents began to try to explain to him what was going on, they were telling him how special he was and how wonderful it was that he could give this measure of blood to save his brother's life. It was only when he was asked those questions that, that his parents realized that he didn't fully understand what they were talking about. And so the young boy said to his mother when he was getting ready to give the blood for his brother, he said, will it hurt? His mother said, well, it'll hurt just a little bit when the nurse inserts the needle in your arm to draw the blood, but it won't be too long and it won't be too bad. And the boy shook his head and he said, no, that's not what I meant. I'm asking you, will it hurt when I die? It was at that moment that the mother realized that her son had mistakenly thought that he wasn't just giving blood to save his brother's life. He thought he was giving his life to save his brother's life. And yet, he was willing to do it and he only had one question, will it hurt? Amen, <laughs> you hear me tonight? Amen, we just got one question. God is not asking us to give our life. He's just asking us what we can give to help one another out. I'm thankful that somebody else took their life. I'm glad that somebody else gave their life, rather. Amen, that we might be able to be here. In 1 Corinthians 13, two chapters after Paul corrected the Corinthian church about communion, he, he introduces something to the church and then uses the word repeatedly. He talks about charity or love. Paul was speaking about deep love, explaining the basis that love is the core of all real communion or all real fellowship or relationship. And so Paul writes, love never fails. Love never fails. Even when we can't get along with someone. Amen. Paul said love is kind. Love does not brag. And love does not keep score. And the list goes on and on and on. Jesus was a living example of this. He didn't say do as I say. He said do as I do. He gave himself to imperfect humanity who would fail him again and again and again. But he was willing to 
to do so. And he said, I'm going to build my church on this kind of love. And so if somebody lets you down, we'll just get in line. They started letting people down with Jesus and it's been all throughout the, the, the lineage of mankind. We've, we've ever been disappointed? Well, we've disappointed. Amen. And we've disappointed the Lord. But he always comes back again and again and again. I don't know about you, but I don't even deserve to feel what I felt here in this service tonight. Anybody else here feel like you were just ever just shot out of a cannon and found yourself in a church service? And the Lord just stepped in mildly. I want to ask you something. This is a personal question, so buckle up. Anybody here just ever felt like when you got all finished getting dressed that you just looked frumpy? I don't know if that's a word you use. (laughs) And your companion is saying, you look great. You look fine. Your friends are saying everything's okay. But it's not how you see it. And then you finally say, well, I may look all right, but I still feel Frumpy. I hope that's not a bad word. <laughs> Especially on communion night. <laughs> Father, forgive me for I have sinned. And so sometimes we just feel frumpy. We just feel wrinkled. We just feel, and that's how we come into the presence of God. And God doesn't judge us for that. But he just stepped in here tonight. He just moved mildly among us. Amen. No one would be the wiser that the person you're sitting beside hasn't been in this auditorium eight hours a day praying and worshiping the Lord and magnifying his name. But the truth of the matter is that that's not accurate. That's not an accurate statement. We came from all four corners of the earth tonight. I don't know. I've said it many times. I don't know what you had to walk through or wade through to get here. But aren't you glad that when we got here, we didn't meet a God that was judging us at the door, calling us at the door, separating us at the door. You be in this group A. You be in group B. You be in group C. I'm going to tell you tonight, we walked in this house and the Spirit of the Lord stood true to his word and he said if you'll gather in my name I'll be in your midst and so we gathered in his name and he came to be in our midst and I feel his holy anointing in this house tonight hallelujah 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 thank you almighty God this message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.